The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. We're trying to round up and round out the preseason. Hopefully, you've enjoyed the last three weeks with Evan Silva breaking down each team and each game. That's a lot of preseason talk, but we wanted to wrap it up in this one and, and, and go through about the top 10, top 11, top 12 storylines and really takeaways from the last three weeks of action, I think you'll really enjoy it. So before we get to that conversation with Evan, I do want to say though that next week we're starting the regular season. Three podcasts a week, one on Tuesday, one on Thursday, one on Friday, featuring all the great content that you enjoy on Roto World. Uh, Nick Menzio, Raymond Summerlin, Roto Pat, uh, Rich Rebar, Evan Silva, yes, and even myself. Um, three times a week, and the only way you can get them automatically is if you subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, on Audioboom, whatever device, whatever platform you use, we are there. Um, so without further ado, here is my conversation. One more time for the preseason with Evan Silva. Check it out. Okay, Evan, let's go through about 10, maybe a few more, plus takeaways from the preseason. Three weeks through, one more night of games, but... Who cares about that last week? Uh, we should start with the most recent news. Teddy Bridgewater going down, obviously, for the season, maybe even longer than that. Uh, this obviously is going to impact not just their quarterback play, also the receivers and maybe the game flow and their offensive approach. Now, I mean, I, I was all over Stefan Diggs this offseason. I know that you liked him some as well. Are you just, if, if you have a draft in the next week, are you just staying away from Diggs? and Adrian Peterson in this situation entirely? Well, I think that it affects Adrian Peterson's touchdown upside because they're just they're not going to score a lot of points this, this year. You know, they're going to try to play ball control, and you know, theoretically that suits Adrian Peterson, but their offense isn't going to be as explosive as it had a chance to be, and um, their schedule is really tough, and they're not going to get as good of game flow. So – I think it does affect Adrian Peterson with Adrian Peter with Stefan Diggs. I think it almost makes me like him even more. Oh, wow. Because his ADP will plummet. True. I mean, he was a guy whose ADP was starting to get late sixth round, you know, seventh, eighth round at the earliest. Um, and now it, now, I mean, I think you'll be able to get him in rounds nine and 10. And I don't think that his target projection changes. I think that it even maybe goes up. I don't think it'll be as, as efficient with, because of the quarterback play. But this team may be throwing the ball a little bit more now. Hmm. Um, 
and he's the clear one. I mean, Laquan, Laquan Treadwell has not stepped forward. And I think as your projections for Laquan Treadwell lowered, you know, your projection for Stefan Diggs should have been uh, increasing. Right. And, I mean, he, he's still going to get a lot of targets. He, he's in position to get, I think, a baseline of 100 targets. He had 85 in, like, 12 or 13 games last year. And uh, he should get a baseline of 100 targets, and I, I think he could push for 120. Yeah, and it doesn't matter if it's Sean Hill or another quarterback. Like, this situation is kind of just not good. And I understand that Teddy didn't throw touchdowns last year at all, but we're going to see, no matter what it is, in my opinion, a drop in play. But who knows if that's indicative of the production as well. Okay, let's move on to another quarterback situation that uh, has been altered this preseason, and that's Dak Prescott uh, with the Cowboys starting week one against the Giants. I've already seen a lot. I'm going to ask it this way. I've seen a lot of DFS people, Daily Fantasy, say that they are playing him week one, not in just GPPs, but also in uh, just cash games. Are are you that comfortable? I know he's only $5,000 on FanDuel. Are you that comfortable playing a rookie in his first game? And I know that Dak has shown a lot this preseason. I am because of his price. And he's priced at the minimum on both of the big DFS sites. And I think this team is going to be running a lot of read option. Um, and Jack Prescott in the SEC, you know, the toughest uh, conference for football at the college level, he rushed for 41 touchdowns. So he gives you rushing upside for sure. Um, I think he's as good a bet as any quarterback to score a rushing touchdown in week one. I mean, with, you know, with Cam Newton facing Denver, and, right. et cetera. Um, and he showed a willingness to throw the ball up to his playmakers and let them make plays in the preseason. I mean, and he has the best offensive line in the foot in football, which I think will be able to, to, you know, to, to put him in very, very favorable situations in week one. I mean, daily fantasy and from an NFL standpoint is a weekly game right. and we can just look at one. He's going to be at home, which I like. I think the Cowboys are probably going to still be favored by a point. I don't know. I, I, I got to look at that point spread. Um, but he, he's got, he's surrounded by playmakers. The, the Giants always struggle to defend tight ends because they're slow at tight end and slow at safety. Um, so that, that's good for Jason Witten. Uh, and you know, the, the price, you can't beat it. He's minimum. So I'm definitely going to be all over Dak and probably Ezekiel Elliott in week one. What does this do for Dez? Not just week one, but kind of looking ahead for the next few weeks. His target projection doesn't really change. He's going to get a lot of targets. It's just they're not going to be hitting as many back shoulder throws, yeah. you know, as, as they would have with Tony Romo. You know, the, the trust factor, I think, is a question mark. And I think with Dez, he's probably going to be a little bit less consistent. So I, I didn't bump him down a lot, but I, I did take him out of the first round. And now in, um, in non-PPR, I have him as an early second round value. And uh, in PPR, I have him as a middle second round value. The final quarterback competition for the preseason, Denver Broncos, Trevor Simeon. Look, we know how great the Broncos defense was last year. It compensated for horrendous play at quarterback. But you always look at the big names at wide receiver, right? Uh, Demarius Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders. To me, they're kind of living off of their name that has been created over the last few years. And I don't have any shares of them this year, and I probably won't in the next week. What do you think Trevor Simeon, being the starting quarterback, does for the skill position players around him? Well, I still haven't seen the Broncos throwing bubble screens to Demarius. 
in the preseason. And I don't, I don't think that's going to be a big part of their offense anymore. And that was an easy way for Demarius to pile up cheap targets. Um, I think this team is going to play slow and I think that they're going to not score a lot of points. And Demarius has been outplayed by Emmanuel Sanders, certainly last year on an efficiency basis and arguably the year before that. Um, so I, I actually do have a decent amount of Emmanuel Sanders uh, because he, he'll often slip into the sixth round, but I'm not willing to pay you know, the, that price at the second, third round turn right. for Demarius. I mean, I, I still think he's a, a solid third receiver, a solid top 24 fantasy receiver, but I don't think he's going to get the cheap targets that he used to. And I think that he, and the arrow has been pointing down on his efficiency and um, I think this team is not going to finish, you know, top 12, top 13 in pass attempts anymore. That, right. That's where I think they were 13th last year. And I don't think that's going to be happening anymore. And they were playing fast. They were ninth in offensive pace. Hmm. And I think they'll, they'll drop down into the 20s probably this year. Let's move over to the running back position. Uh, Kristen Michael obviously has now been called the kind of one-two punch with Thomas Rawls when Rawls returns. But it's been all Michael this entire preseason, none of the rookies have really emerged. Maybe C.J. Procise in a third down running back role. Uh, Thomas Rawls is still very difficult to pinpoint in terms of where someone might draft him in the next week before the season starts. Have you seen enough for Kristen Michael to believe in him and take him in some uh, fantasy drafts that you might have? Or is this, again, since it's a one-two punch, a situation that you're going to avoid? I would take him in the ninth, tenth, eleventh round. You know, I, we're we're just taking shots there anyway, right? And we know that the ability with him has always been there. Going to going back to Texas A and M, it's just the production has never been there. Uh, but you know, the coaches are saying all the right things. Uh, he, I think they even split him out wide at one point. That kind of tells in the preseason. That kind of tells you that they're gaining some trust in him as a passing game asset. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I think he's going to have a monster year. But I am sitting here telling you that I think that he's worth a mid to late to late round pick. Right. And, you know, j- just because he, he does have upside, he's always had tremendous athletic ability. He's in a great offense that has a great defense. that's going to put its running back in position yeah. to have a lot of carries. And Thomas Rawls is still a question mark, even though um, you know, the, the Seahawks have kind of assured us that he's going to be ready for week one. We just don't know where his week one role is going to be. And then it's going to be a com- competitive situation where, I mean, people that can sit here and say they know exactly what is going to happen in the Seahawks backfield. I mean, I don't even think the Seahawks know right. what's going to happen. Right. You know, it's going to be a competitive situation. And if C. Mike blows it up against the Dolphins in week one, I would expect them to be the carry leader in week two. So just over the last two weeks, Justin Forsett is going in the eighth round. Kristen Michael's going in the ninth round. So we are clearly targeting Michael over Forsett in those areas. Just staying with the Seahawks. I, I still think it's very interesting. And one of the biggest takeaways from this preseason is um, Jermaine Curse still playing ahead of Tyler Lockett. What do you make of that situation? I mean, I think we talked about it last week. He's their best blocking receiver. They gave him money in the offseason. And he's going to be out there in two wide receiver sets. And their explosive third receiver, who's going to be on the field plenty, plays on special teams and is a dynamic special teamer. You know, one of the best return return specialists in football. So they probably want to preserve his health. And I think that over the course of the season, 
Tyler Lockett's role on offense will grow just like it did last year. But to begin the year, I don't think you can count on more than five targets per game from Tyler Lockett. That easily could turn into three catches for 74 and a touchdown, and that's a, a solid fantasy stat line. But I think that his target projection entering week one is pretty low, and it's just going to be, you know, we're, we're going to have to feel our way our, our, our way around this situation as the season progresses. One more running back spot with the Patriots. Uh, now not just one spot, it's it's two spots. It's LeGarrette Blunt and, and James White because of Deion Lewis's injury. Uh, I have some shares of James White. I know you are all about LeGarrette Blunt um, right now because he's going to score touchdowns and has scored touchdowns during his Patriots career. Two-parter here. Um, at what point are you comfortable taking Deion Lewis, if at all? And two, if you were going to play either one of these players in the first week um, for, let's just say daily, uh, are you going to have more of Blunt shares? Or are you going to have more James White shares? Because I believe James White is, is one of the cheapest backs out there, at like 4900 or something like that. It's a no on Deion Lewis because we don't even know that he'll be back in week seven after week. After week seven, um, the Patriots have a three-week window to bring him back into practice. And you know, if they're rolling with victories, which the Patriots usually do, right. they can afford to take it slow with Deion Lewis, especially if he's showing any signs of not being 100%. So, no, he, he shouldn't be on, on anybody's draft boards. But first of all, what do the Patriots do in their backfield week to week? What, what do they do? Well, they do it situationally, right? They right. they run right. they run the ball, and if it's short yardage, it's going to be blunt. Well, not just short yards, but then they they don't hand the ball off to James White; they pass it to him. Right, but they also game plan to exploit exploit the opponent's weaknesses. Right. So that's what we're going to try to do in fantasy this year. And in week one, you know, the Cardinals had the highest blitz frequency in the NFL last year. They have a really stout front. So I mean, that's a game where James White could get seven passing game targets. Yeah. And then week two, they go back home to Foxborough and they play the Dolphins in a game where even if Garoppolo doesn't play well in week one, I would expect the Patriots to be favored by at least three, if not a touchdown or more. Right. Uh, and that will be a LeGarrette Blunt game. So we're, we're just going to play week to week matchups in the Patriots backfield. It's going to be a headache theoretically, but it's also fun to, to, you know, to, to, to try to guess the Patriots game plan. And really it's not that difficult. Because they usually do the common sense thing, right. attack the opponent's weakness, and um, it's pretty predictable on, on in terms of running back usage. Plenty of wide receiver talk and none bigger than Tajay Sharp's emergence during the preseason. Some might even say it led to DGB's trade. Obviously, that wasn't the regime who picked him. Um, but Tajay Sharp, I, I mean, it seems like he's going to lead if everything keeps going in this direction, going to lead the Titans in targets. The question is, how many targets is he going to get? Um, not just at the receiver spot, but um, there's a lot of talk around this entire skill position group of the Titans. I know you have a lot to say about that, Evan. Well, the Titans are using Tajay Sharp like like a number one receiver and targeting him like a one, number one receiver. And at this point, I think we have to expect that entering week one. Um, as for the Titans offense and how, I mean, they, they've dominated the preseason that the Titans offense has. Will that carry over into the regular season? Right. I, I think that's a legitimate question. I mean, I think that you and I both are big believers in Marcus Mariota, mm -hmm. love him. Um, but the offensive line is kind of, I mean, it, it's not great. Um, 
and no team in the preseason, and Ray, Ray Summerlin pointed this out, no team in the preseason has used more like misdirections and, and tons of gadget plays, at least one a week. They've done the Statue of Liberty twice. I mean, they are like scheming yeah. offense in the preseason, and you don't see that. Right. So is this going to carry over into the real games? You know, I, I, I'll, I'll be very, very interested to see. I mean, DeMarco Murray has a ton of running room. You know, I, I would even say that I don't know, other than his long speed on that 71-yard touchdown sprint against San Diego, which which checked the box that you know he's got some breakaway speed, um, I don't know if I, I really take away a lot from his runs. I mean, Derrick Henry is doing more as a runner yeah. than DeMarco Murray has so far in the preseason in terms of getting himself out of trouble and um, picking up difficult a, yards, picking up difficult yards. Yeah. And I mean, I, I still think that they're going to have a really hard time not playing Derrick Henry yeah. because I, I think that he's the best runner on the team and they want to run the football. Another receiver spot that has been interesting is Kenny Stills having a great preseason. Uh, a player who had a, a fine season with the uh, New Orleans Saints, I believe his last year there, and they just traded him. Um, he's playing ahead of Devontae Parker right now, if I'm not mistaken. Now, I understand that that's just for two wide receiver sets and not necessarily three wide receiver sets, but it hasn't just been big plays for Kenny Stills. It's been red zone targets as well, it seems like. So I know yep. that Stills is going much later on in drafts. One is this worry about Devontae Parker during his sophomore year. Or two, is this just, you know, promise that we've seen from Kenny Stills? I think there are definitely some tea leaves here that we need to pay attention to on Devontae Parker. And it's not just him running in the three wise because this can be a base three receiver offense. And he's going to be on the field a ton, period. You know, his playing time really isn't that big of a concern. Um, what is a big concern is, you know, is he on the same page with Tannehill, which they have not looked so far in the preseason right. and all these things about it, you know, is he handling himself like a professional? Like Armando Salguero of the Miami Herald uh, had an article where um, they, they, the dolphins realized that Devonte Parker wasn't even eating breakfast. You know, the, these kids are, these kids are young, man. They, they gotta, I mean, I, I remember when I was young, I, I did really dumb things too. Right. You know? Yeah, things that I that I look back on, like why the heck did I do that? I mean, I think that we're always we're all probably like that. And you gotta you gotta remember that these kids are really really young, and Devontae Parker's twenty three years old, and he doesn't necessarily yet know how to take care of his body. I, I I'm still taking shots on him in the mid to late rounds because he's starting to fall a lot. Interesting. Um, because I think that this team is going to throw the ball a ton. Yeah. This year, I mean, they, and it, and it not might not be of, just scheme stuff to Jarvis Landry like we've seen in the past. They might actually run not. I mean, they're obviously going to run concepts to other receivers, but a lot of other times it's been force feeding the football to Landry. Well, it doesn't look like a team that's going to have a consistent running game. Yeah, and the the best back on the team is Arian Foster, and he's a pass catching back at this stage of his career. And the defense, the back seven on defense, looks like it might be one of the worst in the league. So I think that the pat, the opportunity is going to be there for Devontae Parker. And, you know, when Tannehill hits him for a big, deep shot, you know, everything could just kind of come together. I mean, yeah. no, no one's going to be using Devontae Parker in week one or Tannehill in week one at Seattle. But when the schedule starts to lighten up, like in week three against the Browns where the Dolphins are at home, um, I think that those guys are going to be in play. No one will be on them 
in daily fantasy, and I think they'll be pretty interesting. I mean, I'm expecting a slow start at this point for the Dolphins' offense, but I think eventually, like, they they can pass protect, and they have playmakers in the passing game, and I think they'll be able to. I think they'll be able to have a a respectable offense this year, and they're going to play fast too. Evan, we're kind of eating our words a little bit of Marvin Jones. Uh, <laughs> we didn't like, you know, crap on him at all a little bit that one week, but we, we laughed that maybe he might not be this team's number one receiver, but it's trending in that direction, at least from what I've seen in the preseason. Uh, this is a team with the Lions that are going to maybe have run the most snaps in offense across the league. It's a lot of tempo, a lot of speed. I'm not saying we dislike Golden Tate, but... To me, Marvin Jones at 5,500 that first week on FanDuel might be the steal of any lineup. Yeah, and we're trying to be Bayesian with our process. And we, as we get more information, I mean, we're, we're not going to just ignore that that new information. Right. It's and a good we, point. Have all, we have all the beat, beat writers saying that Marvin Jones looks like the number one in practice. He looks like the number one in preseason games. And I mean, I think that when push comes to shove, I think Golden Tate is going to lead this team in targets. And I think he's better than Marvin Jones. But I think that Marvin Jones is a better bet for touchdowns right now. I mean, he's got a 10 touchdown season on his resume in the NFL. And um, I think that if you're in a non PPR league, it's close with the edge to Marvin Jones. I think that if you're in a points per reception league, it, uh, it, the, the edge, I think, still goes to Golden Tate, um, but I mean, we we've got a lot of a lot of, a lot more information now. And I, I, what I will be interested to see, though, Josh, is the the Lions are using Marvin Jones as their ex ISO receiver, mm-hmm. which means he's going to draw number one cornerbacks consistently this year. And that's not something that he faced at the college or the NFL level. Very true. He played with with Keenan Allen. Uh, at Cal and, of course, A.J. Green in Cincinnati. So how, how will he respond to that? Will the pendulum swing back toward Golden Tate? You know, I think that that's very conceivable. Just a couple more. Uh, obviously, there was hype all offseason about Jalen Strong, hype all offseason about Sammy Coates, and both of those fell flat in their face almost within the first week of the preseason. Uh, not just about them, Evan, but maybe talk about the both teams wide receiver situations with the Texans and with the Steelers, because both have been um, really eye catching and fascinating throughout these three weeks of the preseason. Yeah. It's just locked in for the Texans. I mean, the Texans threw Braxton Miller and Will Fuller out there and they never look back. Yeah. And that's the three receiver set. Now it's Braxton Miller in the slot who no one's talking about still. And I think he deserves a little bit more buzz especially for a, a check-down-oriented passer like Brock Osweiler. I mean, Braxton Miller is going to be running the high-percentage routes. Yeah. Um, and he looks like a wide receiver. Like, it's not like he's just some quarterback to wide receiver conversion like we've seen in previous years. Like, he looks natural at the out there as a pass catcher. Yeah, this is uh, embarrassing to admit, but um, I was in the third round of a, of a dynasty rookie draft, and I got auto-picked Braxton Miller. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I because I, I didn't get on the clock in time. Correct. And um, but now I'm like, nice. You're thrilled. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling good about I'm, it. I'm, I'm shocked, Evan, that you didn't get arrived to something on time. That's just just unlike you. 
Hey. hey. <laughs> All right. No, no, no. Okay. Okay. Go, go, go to the, the Steelers now. Obviously, no more Davis Bryant. Um, it's Eli Here, Rogers. Let, let, me, let me say this about the Texans. Okay. Though. So last year, they had Nate Washington and Cecil Shorts. Both the guys are going to be out of the NFL most likely this year as their numbers two and number three receivers. So now we have, I mean, and I realize that Will Fuller and Braxton Miller are rookies, and you know maybe I'm, I'm being a little aggressive here and jumping the jumping the gun, but it, it it seems like they've got there's a little bit more target competition now for DeAndre Hopkins. I agree. Was a target monster last year. I agree. Yeah. So so I'm taking Allen Robinson over DeAndre Hopkins in drafts. Yeah. And you're taking AJ Green over him too, because I know that yeah. Nuke is going as the fourth wide receiver in many situations. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, my, my top five right now is uh, you know, the, the big three, uh, Antonio Brown, Julio, OBJ, in that order, number four, A.J. Green, yep. who I think could, could easily make a case to be big part of the big uh, start to drafts. And then number five, Allen Robinson. And then I think we're looking at David Johnson and DeAndre Hopkins after that. Uh, that's good to know because I have the fourth pick in the office league tomorrow. Uh, Sammy Coates, obviously – Nothing is happening with his situation with the Steelers. I mean, he's maybe at best the fourth wide receiver on our team, probably the fifth one because they probably trust DHB more. Uh, I just saw Evan in the Broder World and Friends League. You drafted Eli Rogers. Now, super late, but um, is there – and we, we've talked about it previously, right? Eli Rogers might be a sneaky play in that first week because of the corners on the outside with the Redskins. But do you see at all a chance – I mean, and, and this is forecasting completely that – someone has to get hurt in that situation for Sammy Coates to get an opportunity, or is this just the three wide receivers they're going to run with? You it's know, kind I of an impossible you, question to answer, honestly. Yeah. I mean, you, you can, you can look back at how Martavis Bryant started his career on the inactive list for six week for six weeks. And then he got rolling and, and maybe, you know, that could be your, your blueprint for how you think that Sammy Coates might come along. Um, my, you know, my, my sense is that, that that's that's tough to do and that Sammy Coates isn't as good as Martavis Bryant. Right. But the, the, the ball skills just aren't there. I mean, Martavis Bryant had, you know, he, he could go up and get it. And we really haven't seen Sammy Coates do that a lot. I mean, I, I think we both like him as a run-after-catch receiver. We know that he's compact and physical. And, um, I mean, he's he's built like, you know, like a, like a superhero. Uh, but we, we really haven't seen him consistently make plays on the ball and um you know i i think if their offense starts slow then they may start to try to incorporate him but i don't know how you could draft him right now you're going to end up dropping him probably within the first three weeks of the season when there's hot waiver picks up pickups out there because uh injury predictor has shown that um the, the most injuries actually happen in, in, in the early part of the season. And then it's kind of survivor bias the, the rest of the way. And, uh, you know, just there's a lot of injuries early in the year, every year in the NFL. Week, week one is usually brutal for injuries. Let's end with the Cleveland Browns, Evan. Uh, that's how many of the NFL standings usually end at the finale of the season. Terrell Pryor <laughs> has looked great uh, in terms of a vertical – athletic receiver we haven't seen him do much more than that but maybe that's all that they need him to do let me ask you this are all three of those wide receivers draftable in terms of Terrell Pryor Josh Gordon and Corey Coleman 
I think Corey Coleman and Josh Gordon are. I, I, I would lean no on Terrell Pryor because he doesn't know how to run routes. He can do one thing well, but that's not something that you can count on in fantasy. So he may make a splash play mm-hmm. here or there. Um, and, I mean, I expect him to. Uh, but you know, especially when Gordon comes back, you know, he's he's probably going to have some games where he gets like three or four targets. And I, I'm not drafting Terrell Pryor. I think Corey Coleman will be the, the most heavily targeted receiver in the core until Gordon comes back. And I think how Corey Coleman plays in that four-game window will kind of hint at how he will be utilized the rest of the way. I, I don't think if Corey Coleman is balling early, I don't think they'll stop calling plays for him. Um, I think that they'll they'll try to feed both of those guys. I think Gary Barnage is – I'm a little concerned about Gary Barnage. And I was going to ask Johnson. you about him. Yeah, I mean, good good players, Gary Barnage and Duke Johnson. But Gary Barnage, first of all, his splits last year with and with Josh McCown. I mean, he was like, you know, he was like Gronkowski when Josh McCown played. And then when the other quarterbacks played, right. he was like, you know, just another run-of-the-mill tight end who, you know, you might pick up to stream. Um, and he's going so, as a tight end seven right now over the last two weeks and, and kind of towards the end of the seventh round, which seems super early. Yeah, see, I, I have him tight end 13. Right, right. Um, cool, Evan. Anything else you want to cover? Um, I think that's it, man. Do you, do you have any anything that you want to cover? No, not really. I mean, I, I think the Redskins backfield is somewhat interesting. And <laughs> then the one, the one I would target if I was going to target any of them is Chris Thompson. In a PPR league, for sure, and I, I don't think that if you're on if you're in a non PPR league, I don't think it's a bad idea to put Rob Kelly on the end of your bench and just see what happens. Yeah, and then completely stay away from that 49ers offense. Once again, we were the kiss of death with Bruce Ellington this offseason. Seriously. <laughs> All right, buddy. Um, I'll talk to you next week. Sounds great. Hope you enjoyed that. And once again, if you want more like this, check out and subscribe to the podcast iTunes. Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, whatever platform, we are there. Three a week, starting next week, and hopefully you enjoy them. We're happy to produce them, and we're glad that you're listening. Uh, And as always, it does help us if you rate and review the podcast on any of those platforms as well. But until next week, enjoy your fantasy drafts, and we'll talk to you all soon. See ya. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.